Hi, everyone. Happy February. Lots of things happening over here at JMT Media, and I am your host of the JMT Media podcast. We are now officially in season three, and many of you know I took a pause. I took a break um, because, well, I decided that I'm not doing anything unless it's bringing me joy. And so we've been very selective in who our guests are for our podcast, and I had the privilege of meeting this amazing woman for lunch about a week ago um, through one of my dear friends, Mr. MC Milk. He's this like award-winning hip-hop producer, director. He's just a lyricist, amazing man. Um, but more importantly, he's like the track dad, and that's how I met him. And so I always have the privilege, by the grace of God, to meet people in spaces, communities, um, because you're meant to be and you're meant to meet them. And so I had an opportunity to meet this award-winning author. Her name is Tracy Brown. And we met up actually at a really cool quaint spot. It's a restaurant called Jay's on the Bay, which is on the North Shore of Staten Island. And we had everything from ricotta pancakes to pizza. Um, I don't even remember what she ate, but we'll, we'll get into that in a second. Um, but I want to just give you a little bit of details about the author, Ms. Tracy Brown. She is the Essence best-selling author of Single Black Female Boss, White Lines 3, All Falls Down, White Lines 2, Sunny, Aftermath, Snapped, Twisted, White Lines, Lost Diamond, Criminal-Minded, Black, and Dime Peace. So the book that we're about to talk about is called Hold You Down. And I'm going to bring my dear new friend, Miss Tracy Brown. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hi, Jacqueline. Thank you for having me. Oh, my goodness. The pleasure is all mine. First off, thank you so much because I know you're an extremely busy businesswoman. As are um, you. Takes one to know one. You know, we do we do what we can. But yes. before we get into the book, um, can you talk a little bit about your writing journey because you had such a unique story to tell and i think our audience that's watching and that are also listening to our podcast they can they can learn a lot from you so if you could just uh, talk to us a little bit about your journey in writing sure i would love to writing has been uh, a part of my life my entire life so it was my outlet my therapy so i would write songs essays poems anything that allowed me to express what I was feeling inside throughout my life. It's just been a part of it. Um, I was working a corporate job. I was a single mother of three. And this was the late 90s, early 2000s when uh, Deaf Poetry Jam was a big thing in New York. Um, there was uh, Jimmy's Uptown Cafe, Jimmy's Bronx Cafe, all these great spots throughout the city where uh, poets would come and, and perform our work. And on a dare, I got up on stage one night and I performed a poem I had written and I got a standing ovation to my surprise. <laughs> As I came off stage, a lady said to me, a woman in the crowd I didn't know said, um, you know, you're really talented. You should write a book. And it was one of those things like, you know, you know, authors exist, you know, astronauts exist in the world, but none of us really know any. 
you know? Mm -hmm. So writing was not something I thought I could do as a career. But as it turned out, I went home that night and I started what became my first novel. Sent it out to four different publishing companies and got back three offers. The rest oh is three. Oh my gosh. So, you know, that takes, first off, that takes courage to not only write something, but also to send it out to publishers because we've worked with authors before at our media company and most are self-publishing or too afraid to go to a publisher because they're like, by the time they get back to me, it's going to be a year from now. I'd rather mm -hmm. just self-publish. And I'm like, okay. Um, so you went a different journey and clearly it's worked out very well for you. Um, now, correct me if I'm wrong. This is you, you've written 12 books and you've just submitted your 13th book. That's correct. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that is is amazing. Um, I, I still pinch myself about it. The fact that I get to, I was talking to a group of students yesterday about having imaginary friends as a kid. And now people all over the world, you know, enjoy my imaginary friends as well. <laughs> so real <laughs> thrill, I pinch myself sometimes. Now, are these characters that are in your book, are they relative to family, friends, or you just create them based off of life experiences? It really varies. You know, some of my books are complete and total fiction where I just had an idea of a storyline and I, I decided to write uh, the and create these characters. But oftentimes it's based off of something that fascinates me. For instance, yeah. my novel White Lines was about a cocaine addict. Um, and addiction has always been something that I was fascinated by, just wondering what it is that gets someone in a life like that. Once you're in it, why can't you get out? What's the struggle? You know, How does it affect the people around you? And so sometimes it'll start with me being fascinated by a topic. And then based on that topic, I'll create these characters and a storyline. Um, Hold You Down, my latest novel came about because I wanted to write about generational trauma and how the decisions of parents ultimately affect their children. Um, and also I found that Black men in particular, I feel like have a hard time tapping into their vulnerability. They see vulnerability as weakness. Yep. And so um, then those, first, those feelings of frustration and fear and anger uh, come out as as uh, acts of violence or, you know, uh, all different kinds of ways that they present themselves as opposed to just crying in the moment and acknowledging, you know, the pain. So wanted to speak to that and how uh, so many things within our community go unsaid, unspoken, and how that trauma builds up. You know, it's, um, so I'm not going to lie, I'm on chapter three. First chapter, I'm already crying, and I'm going to wow. tell you why. Okay. So, you know, I always, uh, when you tell a little bit about your own personal story, right, because everybody has their own journey, their own story, people will say, well, why don't you write a book? Like, and I'm like, I'm not there yet. I'm not Oprah. So there's like moments in your book, and I'm only on chapter three. I started crying in my bed last night on wow. chapter one. So one of the things um, that you put in here, and I didn't highlight it in my book because first off, that's like, it's like sacred to me book, right? Because nobody <laughs> writes all my people, books. People barely know how to like put a letter and, and an envelope and put it in the mail. So I don't exactly. even want to touch like this sacredness. Thank but you. in chapter one, um, 
of the book of Hold You Down, the two sisters, they were talking about uh, Lennox, Len, um, going through a moment where her father of her child leaves and she was depressed, like yeah. super depressed. And I believe it was the grandmother that told her, you need to dig down and get whatever source of energy and power that you have to get it together because That's you have right. a child. Yes. And so I started to cry because years ago, years ago, um, I was previously married and I was in a majorly like abusive marriage, like to the point that I went to the Harlem emergency room wow. and you don't talk about domestic violence, right? People just see like, exactly. happy Jacqueline, she's doing great in business, right? right? And so this is many, many years ago before I met my amazing husband, Joseph. And so I remember calling my mother from the bathroom floor, like full of blood, crying, like, what do I do? And she said those exact words that the grandmother said to Len, get yourself up off the floor. Right. You need to dig down and get that strength that I've taught you and walk out. Yeah. And it was so powerful for me because when we talk about generational um, curses and history, yeah. nobody wants to talk about it. And still, even to this day, I still get kind of emotional about it because that was a very traumatic experience. Sure. But um, the writing is, to say it's an easy read is like doesn't do it justice. Thank the you. writing is very familiar oh, with communities with family, if you are close to your family or you've had an auntie or an uncle, the language, the writing style, um, the ease and flow of the conversations, it's just absolutely amazing. You did a Thank superb you. job. Thank um, you so much. And then, you know, I noticed that you drop a few hints in here about Castleton and restaurants. And um, now talk to us about your history with Staten Island. <laughs> well, I'm a native Staten Islander, born and raised in Staten Island. I grew up in Mariners Harbor, and then I've lived in Park Hill for five years. I've lived in Stapleton and New Brighton. I'm currently in West Brighton, so I am a full Staten Islander in every sense yeah. of the word. Um, <laughs> and so when I started to write novels, one of the things I wanted to do was to spotlight and highlight my borough because I'm an avid reader. And whenever I pick up a book, I see New York, I see Harlem, I see Brooklyn, you see the Bronx, yes. you see everywhere except Staten Island, Staten unless Island. somebody's going by on the ferry or, you know, something like that. So I wanted to show that we're more than just the mob wives, shout out to the mob wives, no shade, Definitely. that there's more to us than the Wu-Tang Clan. The Wu-Tang is great, but that there's a whole fabric of specific, specifically the North Shore, which I think mm -hmm. is so culturally diverse and there's so much happening there that I, I make it a point that every single novel I write is set in Staten Island, has characters who are based it. in Staten Island. Yeah. So that's my little love letter to my borough. I love it. I mean, very similar to Tyler Perry, right? Yeah. A lot of what he shoots is out in Atlanta. Atlanta, exactly. Um, and so he's always paying homage to his home. Yes. Um, and so I, I loved that. I love that you're like dropping little hints of like Castleton Street. And I'm like, I know that. It's a place. thrill. It's a thrill yeah. to be able to pick up a book and see places you recognize. Helps you visualize it. Because helps representation matters. Yes, exactly. It matters, right? Yes, I agree. Um, so here's, so speaking of representation, so you have 
two beautiful ladies in the front. And even though I'm on chapter three, I kind of feel like I know where the book you is do. going <laughs> only because I am Mercy and my brother was Lennox. And uh -huh. so immediately you pick it up, right? And I don't yeah. really often, I don't often talk about my brother because he's going through his own journey. Okay. Um, but it was, I was just like, oh my gosh, that's me and my brother. So you can find yourself in the book in so many different characters for sure. Yes. Um, so one of the things that I do love is when you talk about the family dynamics, you're also talking about the love of family dynamics because I think oftentimes um, authors that are writing about anything that is traumatic, it always goes spiral downhill, right? But one of the things that you immediately touch base on in the first few chapters are the connectivity between family members and supporting each other. Yes. And it's like literally holding you down, right? Literally you know, it's a down. it's almost a play on words because I think family, we hold each other down in the yeah. slang uh, sense of I got your back. You know, if you need me, I'm here for you, which is great. But sometimes family can physically restrain us, hold us yeah. down from our full potential. And so both of those things kind of happen in this story. You'll see where they support each other and where without one another, they wouldn't be able to survive. And then there are other ways that they hold each other back from reaching their full mm -hmm. potential. You know, And I think a lot of times, specifically in sister relationships um, and sibling relationships, that feeling of obligation of wanting to be there for the other sibling can often hold us back from living our best lives. That's you know, right. I've seen sisters not move out of town because the other sister doesn't want to go. And it's like, what, what possibilities might await you in that new city if you could just sever the, the ties, you know, cut the umbilical cord. So um, you, you're touching on like, I feel like this book was written specifically oh, good, for me good. because I remember leaving Texas almost 14 years ago. Um, of course, I had family that were like, this is great that you're going yeah. to New York. That's awesome. But then I had other family members after the first year. They're like, are you done? Like, yeah. are you coming back? Like, what? what's the big deal? Right. And so for me, it was like this, this thirst and this quench of like, I wanted to be a rat. It was never to like be an actress or actually even host a podcast. It was but really, you're doing it. I'm doing it. It was really, I just wanted to be with the best of the best marketing people. I wanted to be with the best press people. I yes. wanted to like, I was like a sponge when I came over here in my, you know, mid twenties. And so, you know, and here now we're doing it. So speaking of doing it, um, because part of our conversation last week, you mentioned a nonprofit and some partnership programs that you do um, with different schools, et cetera. And I just saw, was it yesterday you were at IS61? Is that correct? PS16. PS16 in Staten Island. Yes. 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 So talk to me and talk to us about really your outreach efforts and some of your nonprofit programming in oh, writing. Great. I just yes. find it fascinating. Thank you. I'm very passionate about the youth. Um, 
And so I run a nonprofit called Ladies First. Ladies First mentors young ladies between the ages. We used to do from ages 12 to 22, but we discovered that by the age of 12, so much of the personality is already so established and determined that we've lowered the age now to age eight. So we're going into schools, we're taking them. I'm also on the board of directors at the Joyce Theater in uh, Chelsea in Midtown Manhattan. And so we take a lot of the youth from Staten Island into Chelsea for dance performances, which is really fantastic, opens up their minds to, you know, so Staten Island is very limited in its cultural programs. And so um, things like writing, I I didn't know any writers growing up. So it's important for me to talk to the youth and let them know that writing is a great career option. Uh, Narration, if you like to talk, you know, illustration, if you like to draw, dancing, singing, just using all the talents that each one of us has within us and 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 using that to not only lighten and brighten up the world but to to elevate your own life you know absolutely and so we send this year we're sending two young ladies on uh hbcu college tour through a group called staten island strong so they'll go down spellman morehouse clark atlanta howard university all these great schools i love it hopefully you know find some place where they can see themselves having their academic future so It's just really important to me, specifically with young women, because I was a teen mom, I was an at-risk youth, and I just know that if I had had the benefit of certain programs, like the ones that you run, Jacqueline, you know, my life would have been so much richer and fuller. Thankfully, I was able to to pull it through, but, you know, there's so many kids who just really need a helping hand and can't just assume that they have it at home. Exactly. You know, I didn't even know what an HBCU was until probably in my thirties. Yeah. And I thought the first time I heard it, I thought that's cool. You can go to a place where people look like you, they're supporting you. And I was like, well, where am I going? (laughs) But I thought it was so cool. I thought it was so incredible because you have to have support. Um, Just like you said, you know, when you see an astronaut, so prime example, Ronald McNair, Yes. Um, one of the challenger astronauts, right? Um, I'm a big math and science buff, privately, okay. just my nerdism. <laughs> but my middle school that I went to was Ronald McNair Middle School. So I was fascinated by being this astronaut. And yes. at the time, if you wore glasses, you couldn't be an astronaut. So that like diminished my yeah. spirits. I was like, oh, okay, I guess I'll go into speaking or doing something fun. <laughs> And now here I am, a grown adult, you know, 40 years old, thinking, well, maybe they have adult astronaut programs. <laughs> Literally, the sky is the limit. It's Only the limit. you can limit yourself in so true. Your capacity, what you want to do, what you want to achieve. And so the program, um, the New York City Digital Media Center that I run, it's because there were no media programs, even when I was in school. Right. Um, and when I say media programs, there are certain schools across New York City that offer, you know, basic editing, video shooting, but you don't get to really go on a real TV set or you don't get to go to a real concert like the New York Philharmonic. And so exposing students to like, you can have a job in this, yes. like you yes. get paid for this. Yes, and it's um, fun. And that's those are the fun jobs, right? <laughs> Except when it's like zero degrees outside or a hundred degrees. So you got to tell your clients, like, I only want to work during the spring and fall. Exactly. 
Um, but I love that you that you start early on as eight years old. Yeah. Um, because even our program, we started with high school students and we learned quickly, very quickly within the first few weeks of the program starting that students have already made up their minds. So we yeah. have to look at middle school students and how exactly. that's going to roll out. Right. Um, so stay tuned if you're listening, because, you know, we're still sorting it out and figuring it out. Um, now, speaking of sorting it out and figuring it out, um, Tracy, you have a lot of folks that have supported your book. You have Nick Cannon. Um, talk to us about some of the folks that have either looked at your book, shared your book, want to work with you on your book, because I think that is just as important. Yeah, I've been very blessed. Um really, really blessed and to have uh, this year is 20 years that I've been writing professionally. And so it's not something that happens overnight. If there are any aspiring writers out there, two things you should know off top is that it's not a job that makes you rich overnight. It is not. The the term struggling artist is is real. It's there for a reason. It's it's if it should be something that you love to do. And I feel honored to even have any of my published work in bookstores or anything like that. So that's that's been the thrill for me. But over the last 10 years, I would say um the profile starting started to to raise a bit. I had the the joy of being at Kelly and Michael back when Michael Strahan was on Kelly's show. Um Kelly held up my book. That was the first uh bit of uh, television fame that I, I started to get. And then a couple of years ago, I worked on a book with Nick Cannon. Um, and now I count him as a friend. Uh, Nick had me on his talk show last year, which was a okay. real thrill. And this year he read Hold You Down. He's actually done a blurb on the back of it. Um, and we did a conversation in New York at PT Knitwear, a, a bookstore down downtown mm -hmm. Manhattan. And um, we just been collaborating on some projects together and Nick is really a visionary, you know, um, I've also had the pleasure of working with a bunch of, a uh, bunch of Staten Island. You know, there's a lot of local artists in Staten Island that people yeah. don't realize Mac Wilds is from Staten Island, Tristan Thompson, we Tristan uh, Wilds. We have Michael Rainey Jr. Who is yeah. the star of uh, Power, Ghost. He's phenomenal. Oh, that's um, awesome. Well, and of course we have the Wu Tang Clan and all the members, you know, throughout the four SMD. So there are a lot of uh, local Staten Island uh, artists yeah. and talents that you know I've had the pleasure of collaborating with. And this year, I think you'll see even more of that uh, starting to take place. My goal is to take my books and adapt them into films and television series. So that's the next step. I'm so pumped and excited for you because not only are you extremely talented, but just the, you know, of book number 12, the <laughs> first three chapters, I am completely mesmerized. Thank you. I'm excited um, to share this with the world. And um, for folks that are tuning in, so make sure that you follow Miss Tracy Brown. We're going to yes. put all of the information in the captions down below and also her nonprofit, Ladies First, because I think it's really important. Um, if you can connect someone, that's a great way of giving back to your community. Yes. And so, Tracy, it has been an absolute pleasure having you as a guest on my show. Um, I look forward to working with you and seeing you grow and just supporting you because you're Thank doing you, Jacqueline. Work. 
I want to take the time to big you up because I think oh. that what you're doing in the community is so fantastic. I'm like, oh, your presence, okay. what you do, your commitment to the students and the kids in your area and to all the people around you. I think you're just a force to reckon with. I'm so glad that you left Texas and came to New York because <laughs> we're better for it. <laughs> oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, so for those of you that are listening and tuning in, make sure that you follow JMT Media Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and again, we'll make sure that we drop in all the links of my dear friend down below so you can follow her organization and follow her as an award-winning author. Thank Thanks so you. much, guys.